0: Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. we're glad you're here.
1: Feeling alone is a really terrible feeling. When you feel like it's you against the world, inevitably you feel like the world wins john you ever felt that way you ever felt like you were just completely alone in something
0: absolutely many 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 times many times
1: i, I think it's one of the great tools that satan uses is to make you feel like you're alone uh, and you know sometimes it has really deep ramifications for people sometimes it's as simple as you know, you're having a bad day but sometimes it, it takes you someplace darker um People who deal with depression often feel like they are isolated. Uh, And we've seen within the world that those feelings of isolation can really manifest in some really awful things. So what I want to look at today is to to look at this feeling of isolation uh, and what it feels like to be alone and look at a biblical example of someone who felt that way and just try to determine uh, how legitimate is that feeling so for me i mentioned depression um several years ago i guess it's been six seven years ago now um i went through a bout with depression um saw a therapist and and, and got things straight but you know one of the things that was a consistent a consistency during that season for me was feeling isolated and I was curious, John, do you know someone or have you personally gone through something like that where it was more than an overnight or a, a bad day or a bad weekend, where it was really a season, um, where they, you, either you or someone you knew um, clearly were struggling with that?
0: Well, I think everybody here in America has probably felt that, specifically, if you look back at the past couple of years when this pandemic begun, the COVID-19 pandemic, if you if you contracted it or you came in contact with someone you had to isolate in your home for you know 2 weeks, 3 weeks, up to a month if things worked out poorly for you, which it did for us. Mm-hmm. um and it, you know, I had my family there with me. But it it starts to get you feel like you're on an island. Yes, I've I've definitely experienced that in my life growing up specifically where I had years where I felt like no one understood what i was going through um that i was the only one with the problems that i had and i couldn't tell anyone about them because no one else had these problems they might think i was a freak um yeah those those kind of issues
1: yeah and i think what what typically happens then is faith really struggles uh faith is is really weak in those moments when we feel like we're alone um and in fact, that, that's probably one of the things that we, we almost throw by the wayside in those, in those moments, in those periods in their lives when we're feeling isolated. We feel like, well, I, I want to be, maybe I need to be a more spiritual person. And you go it alone. You know, if this is something I need to do for myself. I need to improve myself. Um, and so in those, in those times, what I have seen and what I've, I've felt in myself is I will, I will put in that work and then I'll become disappointed in other people who aren't doing what I'm doing at that moment. It's not that my work is better than theirs. Uh, I'm smart enough to recognize that, um, but only in hindsight. You know, At the moment, I'm like, man, why is, so, why is no one else doing what I'm doing? So sometimes we're, first of all, sometimes we're very bad about asking for help. Um, our pride becomes a stumbling block. But again, as I've mentioned, I think that this is a tool that Satan uses to make it more difficult for us. Um, when we're trying to pursue God is to make us feel like we're the ones pursuing God and everything else is an obstacle. Um, I think within the church, that becomes a problem. Within individual lives, it becomes a problem. Within families, it becomes a problem. Do you agree with that? Have you seen yes, that as well? Yes. yes. Um,
0: I think each of those examples you just gave, it's definitely a problem because it's just on a different scale, right? Yeah. Sometimes within our families, we feel like we're the only one who understands a certain situation and it, it's, yeah, it, it manifests itself in all, all different kinds of ways, whether it be you feel like you're the only one who understands something from an intellectual standpoint or from an emotional standpoint um, or you have more details than someone else and you feel like you have a a better understanding or uh, whatever it may be.
1: So the the person I want to look at, and you may have already figured this out, is Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, I want to take a look at how Elijah feels. And before we even look at those verses, consider what Elijah's coming off of. In chapter 18, there's this very famous story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, And God's people have been divided. God's people are trying to worship God and worship Baal. And and Elijah says, we're going to have this contest. We're going to settle this thing once and for all. Baal and Baal's prophets are soundly defeated. Well, Baal's not defeated because Baal's not a thing. You know, it's just an idol that they've made up. But Baal's prophets are soundly defeated. And so after this, you think, all right, here comes a pinnacle of God's people. They're really going to take off. But what happens instead is you get to chapter 19, and I'm going to read the first eight verses here of 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Ahab, who was the king, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked and behold, and there was at his head a cake baked on the hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah comes off the pinnacle of of, his, of his, uh, prophet, his life as a prophet, defeating the prophets of Baal, leading God's people in what should be a resurgence of their faith. Instead, his life is threatened, and he has to run for his life. And when he gets to, to Beersheba, and he, and he drops a servant off, he goes another day, and he asks to die. Why in the world? What, is, <laughs> what has happened to Elijah that happens to so many of us except that he was really confident, felt really strong, and the wind got taken out of his sails. And that's usually a precursor, right, to to this feeling of isolation. This didn't go like I thought it was going to go. I didn't get what I thought I was going to get out of this. And so he ends up in a very dark place wanting to die. And I'm going to read just a couple more verses, and, and then we'll get into this a little bit more discussion. So in verse 9, he says, Then he came to the cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, that they may seek my life and take it away. John, what would you say that Elijah is feeling if you could put it in a word or words?
0: Very lonely. Um, He. This might be where you're going, but I know he's he seems very depressed and lonely.
1: I mean, he's the only one, right? He tells God, "I'm the only one who's even trying here. God, I'm the only one who cares." Did Elijah single-handedly kill all the prophets of Baal?
0: No, no.
1: What had happened there? He had, he had he had God had demonstrated God's power, had demonstrated that Baal was nothing, and Elijah tells the people, "Don't let a single one of these prophets get away." And Elijah didn't kill them. The people killed them. So Elijah has forgotten very quickly the reality of that situation. And specifically specifically with our spiritual lives, we forget very easily all the good that has been done. When the bad thing comes up, when the obstacle comes forward, we all end up saying, woe is me, which is what Elijah's doing here. Is Elijah overreacting? Yeah, I
0: think so. A little bit um, I, I really see a big application in my my own life here that often when I come off let's say a spiritual high I feel like I've done well for you know a week or two or however long I've, I've had a great um, I, I feel like I've done everything I could do in different circumstances and then I make a mistake and all of that previous stuff is just
1: wiped out by my mistake. And yeah. it's,
0: it's irrational.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm being overly judgy uh, of Elijah here. I think when you see Elijah here, you understand how he gets here. You understand why he feels emotionally the way that he feels. But he is wrong. He is absolutely wrong. And so God is going to set him straight. And in verse 11, it says, and he said, go out and stand On the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after that, after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. One of the more beautiful things, I think, in this story, is the subtle way that God says it's not always about these huge pinnacle moments. God wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. God was in the low whisper. And when we have these, these big epic moments in our faith that seem to be, you know, like in like a pinnacle or a real high, we kind of expect the next one to come right? And it doesn't happen that way. So we feel a little bit let down. Do you think sometimes it's a matter of we set our expectations not only on what we have seen God do, and so we think God's always going to do these bombastic, huge things, but also that maybe we deserve it?
0: Yeah, I think we set our expectations on what we want. Mm -hmm. Uh, You think of like pinnacle moments in your life. Maybe you you wanted a better job or you wanted a new job or you wanted to have children or, or whatever it might be, and you have set your expectation on those things because that's what you want, but it may not necessarily be what's best for you. And you think of the application from parent to child. So.
1: Right, and, and that's that's a great application, the application from parent to child. Our children sometimes think, and, and you know, I, I felt this way when I was a child. That you sometimes feel like our parents don't love us because they didn't buy us the, you know the ps5 uh, or whatever that that newest thing is you know god my parents just don't love me enough i guess for that um i guess that's a terrific analogy and so in our relationships with god what what are those expectations what do we want well you know god i've, I've gone to church i've prayed i've you know i've served you i don't you know i don't do x y and z or you know whatever those things are that you think are are sinful things that cost you god's favor you've done everything right so now my expectation is you know wonderful spouse thriving church life excellent job promotions obedient children and then life happens and none of that stuff goes the way that you think it's going to um
0: and you, and you feel lonely, and you feel like God doesn't hear you, and, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm the only one that gets it. And yeah. all these other people are just, they're not doing their part. God are having not great money. lives. Yeah. So you think application-wise, where you see this come up, you know, this Bible class teacher doesn't do it the way that I think that they should. This preacher doesn't deliver the lessons that I think that we need to hear. My boss doesn't see my value. Or, and I think we see this a lot, boy, this country's just gone downhill. It just doesn't, it's just not the way it ought to be. Or this world's forgotten about God. God, I'm the only one left. Or my church or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And you're right, so that makes you feel lonely. That makes you feel like you're the only one. And so where does that take you Emotionally.
0: pretty dark place typically get depressed and you start thinking you understand the best about things and I think that's where we have a misplaced understanding and it as you've alluded to earlier this this is a very strong tool of the devil he's dividing and conquering If he can divide us all into our own mindsets then he can convince us all that nobody knows what they're talking about and he takes us away from from God and God's love and mercy
1: So the the question is, if this is the reality for a lot of us, um, and again, we we feel isolated, we feel depressed, uh, and those feelings are, you know, they're not legitimate, they're not valid, but they are real in our hearts, in our minds, in our guts. We feel that way. How do we fix it? Well, with, with Elijah, Elijah learned something from God. So Elijah, you know, he has his reaction to God. I'm going to pick up in verse 14 when God continues to speak, and or when Elijah continues to speak to God. And says, "I've been very, very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaking your covenant." And He repeats the same thing. Even I, even, I, even I, am only left. But then the Lord answers him in verse 15. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint. Hazael, to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And you go down and you get to verse 18. He's giving Elijah all this instruction. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah said, I, even I, am the only one and God doesn't say, no, Elijah, you're wrong. God, and God doesn't say, Elijah, no, listen, let me show you this. He said, go back and get to work, and there are going to be 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee or kissed Baal who are going to be ready to take the work up. 7,000 people is not an insignificant number, uh, even in this, in this small area. But I love that God doesn't directly address Elijah's problem He says get up go back take up the work and look around and so for us then how do we make that application how do we know that we're not alone in what we're doing
0: well I think the first step is to realize that everybody everybody makes mistakes Um, I believe it's the book of James where he says we should confess our sins to one another that's that's the uh, method that we know you know when you say i've struggled with this and you tell a brother or sister in christ they understand hey i'm not the only one who's struggling with things and to keep that continuous if we if we stop that practice what happens is that we all think we're perfect and then when one of us makes mistakes we're so ashamed Mm. that we can't admit it and then uh, we get this feeling of loneliness and we get depressed and We have to recognize god's love and be willing to share our mistakes with others and know that he has forgiven us
1: i love what you brought up and i hadn't even really considered that until you said it but i had i had approached this thought with the idea of we become so prideful so arrogant that we feel like we're the only ones who are doing what's right and what you brought up is sometimes we we become so Despondent and depressed, that we feel like we're the only ones doing something wrong, and either tool is just as effective. You know, making you feel alone can come from either a, a place of pride or a place of depression, um, but regardless, you feel like you're the only one. And what Elijah was going to, when Elijah went back to the seven thousand people who were faithfully serving God, I will guarantee you that there were some people in that seven thousand who felt like he did. I'm the only one doing this. And God says, look around, look at your brother. He's doing it. She's doing it. And I think that's the idea is stop looking in the mirror and start looking around that there are other people who are, who are doing the right thing, who are serving God, or there are other people who are struggling um, the way that you're struggling. And so the the key um, for us in, in how we interact with other people is what you've brought up. It's, communication, it's vulnerability, it's honesty, it's candor. Uh, And when we do those things, when we're more honest with one another, that helps us to feel united. Um, Is this something that we... Well, I don't want to make it as a large condemnation of people. Is that something that you feel like you've struggled with as an individual?
0: Yes. Uh, at least from my perspective, I know that I've often felt that way, that if I make a mistake and then I, say, I look around and I think, well, none of these other people are making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I spoke to some people about my mistakes and everybody was like, oh yeah, I've, I've struggled with that. And I was like, <laughs> But I felt so alone this whole time. Yeah. And then in the, same, in the same boat, I've also felt the way that you're describing that, uh, and shame on me for feeling both of these, both, you know, both the ways that I've described that I see someone struggling with something and I thought, well, I would never, I would never have that issue. They just have weak moral character or whatever. And shame on me for one, not supporting that person in the way that I should have supported them. Um, but two, for even thinking and feeling those those things that's not you know everybody has different circumstances in their lives but I think for me the the big thing here is to realize that we aren't alone even when it feels like we're alone and it looks like we're alone and Satan is telling us we're alone God has told us we are not alone and if we would just get back to work and look around we could see that he's right
1: what I also think, when you, especially when you approach this from a position of pride, it, it's made me think about Paul in the book of Acts in chapter 17. In Acts 17, Paul is at the Areopagus, and, and the Areopagus is this, this place where all these philosophers and people who are seeking different truths and new and new things all the time are gathered together, and they will worship any god they can find, essentially. And God, and, and Paul tells them. Let's call them what they are. They're pagan idolaters is what they are. And here's what Paul says to them in Acts 17, beginning in verse 26. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries in the dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Can you imagine in that group of people, I can't imagine that I would approach this group of pagan idolaters and said, man, you're really close to God. I would feel like those people are a mile away from God. But Paul says, the truth is, you're not far. And when I, when I read that, I'm so encouraged because I think I don't know anyone like that. I don't know anyone who's a pagan idolater who will worship anything that moves or anything that doesn't move. And if those people can be close to God, then surely my neighbor is close to God. Surely my enemy is close to God. And so I can offer them encouragement, and I can also know that I'm not far away from God no matter what's going on in my life. I'm not away from Him as much as it feels like I am.
0: I really like this example you've given from Acts. These people had an idol, as he puts in verse 23, an altar with this inscription to the unknown God.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> and essentially they were covering all their bases because they said, we don't want to forget someone in, you know, if, if we've forgotten one of the gods, then we want to make sure that we worship them. And he's essentially saying this truth that you are seeking that, you know, you, you know, that you don't know everything. And, uh, yeah that that message is great but to see that everyone you know this this group of pagan idolaters as you said it was so close to God that just took some education and I think we need to think about that when it comes to the world that there's a lot of people that we don't know their story and even from the outside looking in it might look like they have nothing have no interest but as is often said we aren't soil inspectors yeah
1: yeah the parable of the soils fits really well there you know the uh, we could go deep into it but you're right the idea is that you sow the seed you don't determine the best place for the seed to be the seed is plentiful you just sow it And, and the reality is you're not qualified to test that soil anyway you can't know these hearts um So these people are probably closer to God than you recognize. I want to close with uh, Psalm chapter 25 and verses 16 through 18. For those who who feel isolated, whether from a position of pride, um, and as you said, John, either one of these things, shame on us if we feel this way. but if, if you feel isolated from a position of pride, isolated from a position of, of depression and sadness, loneliness, I think this is an excellent psalm that can be prayed, uh, and I would encourage you to do it. Psalm 25, and let's just read verses 16 through 18. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction, my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in Scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at WTI at gmail.com. Lamentations 324 The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.